Ellen White is very important to our church and to each one of our lives. And there are so many wonderful statements that Ellen White makes. And people ask me, what is your favorite quote from Ellen White? Well, there's ones from Steps to Christ, and there's ones from Desire of Ages. There's ones when we're discouraged. There's ones when we need encouragement. There's ones that promise that the church is going to go through. But I've got to say, selfishly, this is my favorite statement from Ellen White. She says, I would not be willing to exchange my farmer for any other person that I know of. She was referring specifically to Iram James, who was my great-grandfather. So you can see why that was special to me. But let me also suggest that as I have studied Ellen White's writings, as I have talked to people who actually knew Ellen White, I think that that statement is much broader than just to one individual. Ellen White was passionate about farming and gardening. And I think that she was meaning that passage for all of those who appreciate and are involved in the art and the work of farming and gardening. She says, you and I that believe in getting our hands dirty, she says, we have a special place and she can relate with us. I had the privilege of growing up in the Napa Valley. This is, by the way, uh, my great-grandparents. That's Iram James and his wife, Christina. I had the privilege of growing up in the Napa Valley. The church that I attended was then known as the Sanitarium Church. It's had a couple name changes since that time. But you would look out the windows of the church and you would look down into the valley where Elmshaven was, and you can see on the far left is where uh, Elmshaven was. I have a little picture embedded down on the right side. But that is the valley where Ellen White spent the last 15 years of her life. I grew up just about two miles away from there. And it was a real privilege going to an Adventist elementary school and having people come and tell us stories who actually had known Ellen White. One of them was Grace Jocks. Grace was Ellen White's granddaughter. Now, as she would tell people, she said, you know, Ellen White, grandmother, wanted her to have the same initials, E-G-W. So they named her Evelyn Grace White. And then she would chuckle and say, but I didn't keep the white for very long. But Grace Jocks, she, she went by her middle name, Grace Jocks, would come and tell us stories at JMV. How many went to an Adventist elementary school? Had JMV meetings? Excellent, fantastic. She would come, and Grace Jocks was one of these people that had a perpetual smile on her face. She was an older lady, obviously, at that time. And she had this deep, gravelly voice. And she would tell us these wonderful stories about her grandmother. I didn't think much of that at the time. I just wish now I had been a brighter kid and asked more questions. But we would go over on Sabbath afternoons to Elmshaven for uh, a tour 
to look at things, and she was the tour guide there. And if we would stop by during the week, you would often see grace jocks sitting out in the middle of a flower bed, pulling weeds. And she would always look up and enjoy the opportunity to talk about her grandmother and tell a few stories. I didn't think much about that till many years later when the issue in the church was about the inspiration of Ellen White and could we really trust Ellen White. And I discovered that some of my contemporaries who had not had the privilege of growing up in that type of an environment, they only knew Ellen White as a person who had a whole lot of things we shouldn't be doing. They had read carefully books like Messages to Young People, Christ, or, um, uh, Child Guidance, some of these that are good material, but sometimes compilations out of context can give a distorted view of the author. And so they grew up with a very different picture. I grew up thinking of Ellen White must be a whole lot like her granddaughter, Grace Jocks. Because as a little kid, I knew a couple of things. Ellen White had lived at Elms Haven. Ellen White was an old lady. Grace Jocks lived at Elms Haven. And Grace Jocks was an old lady. So they must have a lot of similarities. And I knew that Grace Jocks loved the Lord, loved children, always had a smile on her face. And so I grew up with that picture of Ellen White. Also grew up with a man that came to our school by the name of Ernest Lloyd. Ernest Lloyd had been the editor of Our Little Friend for 25 years. He lived to 105 years old. And he would come and tell us about all the times that he had heard Ellen White preach and how moving that was and how impressive it was. We'll see a little picture of, of uh Ernest Lloyd a little bit later this morning. But I grew up with the understanding and the idea that Ellen White was a real person, enjoyed real things like the rest of us do. She had a special gift from God for the church. But I also knew that Ellen White would be the type of person that we would enjoy working with and being around. Now, I also had my grandmother who grew up at Elms Haven, and that's where we'll get into the story of Iram James. But I want to tell you about another one of my great-grandparents first, on the other side, that was also from Australia, that never became a Seventh-day Adventist. In the, 19, or in the 1850s, he moved from Austria to the Sydney area, and at that time, the wine industry was just getting started. And he planted a vineyard, started a winery, and started a family. The winery is still there today, not in the family's uh, name anymore, but the grapevines that he planted in the 1850s are still there. And they produce a wine called Old Vines Wine. And you can get, I've never tasted it, but it is uh, still available there. But the other 
great-grandfather, Iram James, is who we want to talk about for a few minutes this morning. His background was interesting. His grandfather got a free trip to Australia, not with the lottery, but in the 18 or in the 1700s, Iram's grandfather Samuel stole a silver coin. He got caught. The official records say that he was 17 years old and was tried as an adult. When you look at the birth records, he would have been 13 years old when it happened. And he was convicted and sentenced to be hung. Fortunately, his uh, conviction was commuted and they sent him to Australia. Quite a trip over there. There are some records that tell a little bit about the trip. It wasn't a smooth sail, but he got there, settled in, and to show the power of God, within about 15 years of his arrival in Australia as a convict, he became the constable of the town. Maybe they didn't have too many people to choose from, but that's, he became the constable. That was Iram's grandfather. Iram came onto the scene and he grew up with strong religious convictions. When he was in elementary school, his teacher, Mrs. Miss Alice Thornis, had written on the board this Bible verse, Behold, the righteous shall be recompensed in the earth, much more the wicked and the sinner. And that made an impression on young Iram. What does that mean? What, what does the Lord have in mind for our earth? Iram grew up, got married, started a family. He had a little farm, but his income was a stagecoach driver. He was a friendly person and made friends with a lot of people. And right about that time, coming into the area just outside of Sydney, was a young evangelist that had just moved to Australia from Healdsburg College. His name was Robert Hare. Now, some of you may know the name Eric B. Hare, the storyteller in the Adventist church. This was Eric B. Hare's father, Robert Hare, had just finished his theology degree at Healdsburg, came to Australia to begin holding evangelistic meetings, but could not find a place to hold them. So he met this young stagecoach driver, Iram James, and Iram said, well, if you can't find a place to hold meetings, pitch your tent in my backyard. And so the evangelistic meetings got underway in the backyard of the James family. But Iram noticed that this Bible verse that he had seen as a young child was one of the banners that Robert Hare had up front. And so he was riveted. Night by night, they came to the evangelistic meetings. Three weeks into the evangelistic meetings, Christina said to her husband Iram, we need to keep the Sabbath. Iram said, I'm convinced of it too. I've been praying about it, and if I can sell my stagecoach business, 
I will accept the Sabbath and join the church. Christina looked at Iram and said, you need to step out in faith. Don't put a condition on the Lord. Sometimes wives can nudge their husbands. And Iram said, but we already have three children. What are we going to do? Christina said, I don't know what you're going to do, but I'm going to join the church. And she stepped out in faith, and so did Iram at that time, and they began to keep the Sabbath. Ellen White met them not long after that because Iram James lost the stagecoach business. He was penniless. He started trying to farm, but he couldn't make the interest payments on the mortgage, so they lost everything, but they kept going to church. Ellen White was in the area. She came to church on Sabbath morning, and as she often did, she would get acquainted with the various church members. She wrote about the family. She said, they are destitute of food and clothing. He keeps up good courage in the Lord. Brother James, I understand, has four children and some days has had nothing to eat but wild berries. But we have sent them flour, beans, peas, cornstarch, cabbage, turnips, and potatoes enough to last them for a little time. Perhaps help will come. Ellen White was a big believer in helping people. And she used the bounties of her garden to help people. And so she sent food over to the James family. Because they'd lost everything, they not only lost their livelihood, but Christina's parents, who were strong Lutherans, who owned the winery not too far away, they disowned the family. Because how could you join a group like Seventh-day Adventists? Now, to put it in context, this was about 1893. The church had only officially been around 30 years. So you look at it and you say, what kind of new religion is this? They were strong Lutherans, and they had a long heritage. But here their daughter with the grandkids and the son-in-law have run off with this new religion. So it wasn't easy for them. Iram was trying to raise money enough to feed his family. He even offered Ellen White the opportunity to buy one of his cows. He offered it to her for $22 and said, if the cow produces eight quarts of milk a day. There's no record about whether, they bought, whether Ellen White bought it or not, but they continued on. Ellen White invited them to come to Sunnyside, to Curranbaum, to be by her home. Ellen White had written to Willie asking if there were some tents that might be available that the family could live in if they came and worked helping to start the new college. Iram learned a lot during that time, spending it at Elmshaven or at Sunnyside. You can see on the left is Sunnyside, which was Ellen White's home, and to the right is a little cottage that became Iram and Christina's home there at Sunnyside. 
there in front of the house, posed the picture down on the ground level with the shovel in his hand like a good farmer is Iram standing on the left there at Sunnyside. It was at that time that Iram grew to love, appreciate, and respect the work of Ellen White very much because he saw firsthand how she put her faith into action. One of the stories, this comes from Guide Magazine a few years ago, there was a drought. Iram was to be the farmer there at Sunnyside, growing all the vegetables, growing all the fruit that they needed for their little community there. But a drought came, and they watched the plants begin to wilt, the ground getting drier and drier. And Iram went to Ellen White, and he said, if we had a windmill, we could always have water and keep this farm flourishing. They talked about it a little while, they prayed about it, and Ellen White said, yes, I have a little bit of money. I will set that aside for a windmill. Iram went home praising the Lord that now they were able to keep the farm going. But that evening, Willie White came over to visit his mother. And Willie looked discouraged that evening. And Willie said, Mother, you know we're building the new sanitarium in Sydney, and the plasterers who are not Adventist have not been paid. We need money. And Ellen White said, Well, I've just promised the money that we have to build a windmill. And Willie said, but these are non-Adventist plasters. Our faith is on the line. And so Ellen White changed her mind and said, okay, we will take the money and give it to the plasterers, but I need to tell Iram. The next morning, she broke the news. And it was one of those moments that Iram began to question a few things. Why? You know, he had the skill to be a farmer. He could go work for people who could afford windmills. But he knew that this was a special job that he had, a special task that he had. And he too prayed that day. And that afternoon, the clouds came in and the rains began to fall and the crops were saved. It was at that time Ellen White wrote these words. She says, I invest everything into the work necessary to be done in order to advance the cause of truth. May the Lord bless you for this donation. We thank the Lord that it came at the right time to pay some debts that we could not have settled without this gift. Iram James saw firsthand that God's prophet could see things that the rest of us couldn't see and make decisions that would be the right decisions and the Lord would take care and the Lord would provide. When Mrs. White got ready to leave Australia to come back to the United States, she had two horses. Now there's got to be a story behind this because one of the horses she named Sister White 
and the other horse she named Sister Haskell. Some of you may know Stephen Haskell, one of our pioneers. So his wife got a horse named after her. So there's two horses, Sister White and Sister Haskell. And Ellen White left Iram James with Sister White. As she said, it was so that Brother James could do missionary work. When she left, there needed to be an auction to sell a number of the items. And so uh, Iram became an auctioneer and he sold off the items from Sunnyside that Ellen White did not take to Elmshaven. Ellen White moved to Elmshaven. She found this beautiful spot that was completely furnished and paid $5,000 for it. And after they got settled in, Willie White wrote Iram a letter. Let me read you parts of that letter that he wrote. He said, there are 35 acres of valley land. About half of this proper, if properly enriched, would raise vegetables or almost any other crop. One quarter is especially good for fruit, and about one quarter is only good for pasture. There are 11 acres of prunes and about two or three acres of a house orchard, that is, an orchard with all kinds of fruit for house use. There are some, something more than five acres of vineyard. The prunes and the house orchard are in their prime. We should be pleased to plant an acre more, giving us a larger variety of fruit. The vineyard is largely wine grapes, but there's an acre or two of table grapes. Some portions of the vineyard are dying, showing results of disease. We shall want to pull up about two acres of the old vines, one acre because they are not healthy, and one acre that is among the trees and needs to be cleared away. We shall want to plant new vines, giving us greater variety of table fruit, and putting Isabel's, Concord's, Delaware's, and other kinds of uh, grapes that will give us unfermented wine of the best flavor. Mother would like you to come to be her farmer, occupying a similar position to that you had in Curranbong. There are no lack of farmers and fruit growers here, but we desire the old associations and think that it would be a continual comfort to us if we could have you take charge of our outside work. You have learned how mother wants work conducted, and you know how to relate yourself to her work outside and inside. Mother would expect to pay you $40 a month, and she would do her best to help secure a place for your family. Iram got the message, and in November of 1900, he sent a cable back to Ellen White with just seven words. Sell, now, cash, advise, come, cable, James. Now, if you can figure all that out, I guess back in the days when you would send telegrams, uh, that it was more understandable, but it meant he was on his way. And in December of that year, the family started out by ship to San Francisco. Iram had only been in the Elmshaven 
area for three months. And on March 25, he wrote a letter to Willie White telling what had accomplished so far. And here's what he wrote to Willie. He says, Dear Brother White, I thought you would like to hear how we're getting on now. We have your fence finished except putting up the slats in, and I thought that could wait until other things more important were done. I have your land plowed a foot deep and harrowed up fine as ashes. It's much better land than I thought it was. I have staked out all the holes made and part of the trees planted. I'm going to plant the rest this afternoon. It will take 75 trees. I could get no currants or gooseberries at this time. I have a fence run around my piece and a dairy to put in 20 trees. We also have the berries all planted on Sister White's property. They're all sprouting nicely. The pruning in the prune orchard went slow. I put Brother Parker for a couple of weeks on it. He did very good work. We have most of the grapes pruned except the patch straight in front of the house. And Brother Hicks said he would come and prune that. They are beginning to sprout. We also grafted about 300. But the worst thing I see are the suckers that were allowed to grow from the bottom of the vines last year. Every vine will have to be gone over, dug around with the mattock, which is almost an endless job. It will cost a good deal, but it must be done. And then he tells a few personal things. He talks about the fact that part of his family is still living in a tent. Three months after arriving, his daughter Elma took to scarlet fever. And then he tells about his children and about my grandmother. He tells the fact that she was run over by a carriage. She fell over it and the wheel went right across her, but he said she jumped up and was able to run away and we praise God for his goodness. So here's the farm as it was laid out when the uh, uh, family arrived there. You can see the various homes. Then one of Iram's jobs was to get the carriage ready for Ellen White every morning. You can see Ellen White in the carriage there with her nurse, Miss McInturfer, and in the background is Iram James getting the carriage ready because most mornings, especially when it was good weather, Ellen White would take a carriage ride through the countryside, but not just to sightsee, she would stop and talk to the neighbors. She would take fruits and vegetables to them. She would take books to them. She would talk to them. She would visit like any other neighbor would. One of the stories my grandmother told about one of these carriage rides is that my great-grandfather, Iram, got the carriage ready one morning. Ellen White and Miss McInturfer got in the carriage. They headed out. They would go for several miles on their ride. When the carriage came back and Iram was putting it back in the shed, he realized that one of the pins had come out that held the wheel in place and that the wheel could have come off at any time. But they knew that it was God's angel that had kept that wheel on for the ride that day and protected Ellen White and Miss McInturfer.
Iram James's family grew to 13 children, which is remarkable because after Christina's first child, the doctor in Australia told her she'd never have any more children. I guess you shouldn't always listen to the first uh, doctor's opinion. But 13 children. And so when they would get ready to eat, they would have a food line. Christina would make great whole wheat bread, and they would make peanut butter, and they just loved peanut butter sandwiches. And they would make an assembly line for this long table there, and some of the kids were pulling the bread and slicing the bread and putting the peanut butter on. And Grace Jocks tells about the facts that the white children loved Mrs. James's bread. And so the white children would always try and squeeze in to the James family food line to get some of the good whole wheat bread and enjoy being with the James kids. My grandmother used to also tell about being a child. They all worked around Elmshaven. The white children, the James children, all the children were put to work. And especially when it was harvest season. There was so much to do, and as I mentioned in the letter here, there were a lot of prune trees. Now, even when I was a kid growing up in the Napa Valley, there were still a lot of prune trees, and as far as I was concerned, too many prune trees, because if you have to pick up prunes, that's hot, hard work. And so all the children would be out picking up prunes. And on many occasions, my grandmother would tell, that as they were out there in the hot sun picking up prunes, here would come Ellen White. Now, Ellen White was not young at that time. She was getting up there in years. But there was Ellen White, God's prophet, down on her hands and knees helping the kids pick up prunes. And then they always looked forward to that because she would say, you know, it's hot. Why don't we go sit under a tree, and why don't you let me tell you a story? Now, can you imagine whether kids liked Ellen White or not? They loved it. Much rather listen to a story than picking up prunes. But she was right out there with them, working with them. This is the James family as it began to grow there at Elmshaven. Ellen White also records that somebody offered them some cherries. She says, Iram, Sarah McInturfer, two of Brother James's children, and I rode seven miles up Howell Mountain to get cherries. Now, if you've been to Elmshaven and heading up the hill towards Pacific Union College, that's a steep climb up there, and especially if you're in a carriage, here they are, they're going seven miles up the hill small black ones which were given to us for the picking. Several others beside us were picking from the trees. The platform wagon was drawn under the trees and Sarah and I stood up on the seat and in this way we reached the cherries. You can just picture this. Here's the wagon pulled under the tree and here's Ellen White standing up on the seat picking cherries and she says, I picked eight quarts. She enjoyed the process of farming. 
she enjoyed all that was involved with that. One of the stories, this is Iram with one of his grandkids and he's up pruning. My aunt was very small at the time and she went to visit her grandfather, Iram, and he had a wheelbarrow and he was pushing chicken manure. And as he was pushing the chicken manure, my aunt looked at it and she wrinkled up her nose and she says, Grandpa, what are you gonna do with that dirty old smelly stuff? And he smiled and he says, well, I'm going to put it on our artichokes. And she looked up at him and she says, why, Grandpa, we put mayonnaise on our artichokes. <laughs> I think the whole chicken manure is kind of a genetic thing because when I was a kid, my mother was determined we were going to have a large garden every year and I don't know where they found it, but we would get truckloads of chicken manure and after school for weeks, my brothers and I were spreading chicken manure on the yard. And still to this day in my backyard, which is very small, I grow a little vegetable garden and at Lowe's you can buy small bags of chicken manure. My neighbors always know when I am getting my vegetable garden ready because I still use chicken manure. Ellen White was interested in every part of her farm. Grace Jocks would tell about the fact that one night one of the cows gave birth to a calf. Ellen White heard about it the next morning and she wanted to go out to the barn to see the newborn calf. But it was raining and her care giver, her sidekick, Miss Sarah McInturfer, was always very protective. And she always called her mother. Now they weren't related, but they had worked together for so long and Sarah McInturfer was part of the family. And Ellen White said, I'm going to go out to see this calf. And Miss McInturfer said, Mother, it's raining outside. Ellen White said, that's okay, I have my umbrella. And Miss McInturfer said, but mother, it's muddy out there. And Ella White smiled and she said, that's okay, I have my galoshes I can put on. And everything that Miss McInturfer tried to convince Ellen White not to go out to the barn, Ellen White had an excuse for because she was interested in seeing the calf. She was interested in what was going on on the farm. Adventist farmers, this is, uh, by the way, this was the home of the James family with a little water tower just up the hill just a little ways from Elmshaven. An Adventist farmer is much more than one who simply grows fruits and vegetables. An Adventist farmer is an Adventist first. They're involved in every part of the church, and so was Iram. He was an elder in the local church. And in that local church, there was a problem. There were two sides. Now, sometimes we think that divisions in churches are something new. They happened way back then as well. 
And the two sides were fighting and they wouldn't even talk to each other. And Iram, as one of the elders, he prayed about it. He wanted to bring unity to the church. And so he got a hold of the conference president and said to the conference president, you need to come and talk to these two groups and get them united again. And the conference president came and the fight continued. And so Iram went up to the St. Helena Hospital and he talked to the chaplain and he said, chaplain, you need to come and talk to these two sides. And the chaplain came down and talked to the two sides and they still kept fighting. And so one Sabbath, Iram stood up and he read several Bible verses. Love your enemies. Do good to them that persecute you. God is love. By this will all men know that you are my disciples. And then he looked at one side and he says, do you want to go to heaven? And they all nodded. And he said, do you want to go to heaven? And he looked at the other side and they all nodded, yes. And he said, well, none of you are going to go unless you love each other. And a revival broke out that day because of a farmer's faith. A farmer can be one who unites a church and works with people. Iram was involved in soul winning. He gave Bible studies in the community. Thirteen children at home, but still going out and giving Bible studies. And he was involved in starting a new school. Ellen White looked around after the community began to grow, and she said, we need a school. So Iram James, because he had the most kids, was the school board chair. And they had a school board meeting to organize. And as a group gathered together to organize, they, uh, Ellen White was there. Now, I don't know about you, but I've chaired a whole lot of committees. I've never had a prophet sitting in the meeting I was trying to chair. But there got to be quite a discussion going. And as a chairman, you're trying to keep things balanced here. And with Ellen White sitting there in the room, people begin to quote Ellen White. Now think about that for a little bit. Now what, what people have shared that knew Ellen White is Ellen White was not a dominant person. Sometimes because of the volume of materials that she wrote and the influence she's had in the church, you would think, okay, she walks into a room and takes over. She didn't take over. She was a very mild, meek person, almost shy. In fact, her grandkids would talk about family worship time. She never dominated family worship. They loved family worship because the kids were all involved in family worship at Elmshaven. Ellen White would take part, but she didn't dominate. And so here she is at this board meeting, and a very interesting discussion came up. How old should a child be when they start school? That's a simple one, right? Because Ellen White had written a decade before, exactly, they should be 10 years old. That should settle the issue, right? Well, the discussion starts going back and forth. And people are saying, yes, but, and then they'd say, but Ellen White said. 
and she's sitting there. You can picture that it's starting to gnaw at her a little bit. You can read this in Selected Messages, Volume 3, by the way. She finally talks. And here she is, and Iram is chairing the meeting, and Ellen White finally addresses the issue that she's being quoted about. She says, This is how it is, and my mind has been greatly stirred in regard to the idea. Then she puts in quotes, why Sister White has said so-and-so, and Sister White has said so-and-so, and therefore we are going right up to it. She said, God wants us all to have common sense. And he wants us to reason from common sense. Circumstances alter conditions. Circumstances change the relationship of things. Interesting perspective that came out of that board meeting that Iram was chairing. He also spent, in later years of his life, going around to churches lecturing about the beginnings of the work in Australia. I have a few of the notes that he had made during that time. I wish I'd had a, I wish he'd made a manuscript because it's hard to make uh, sense of some of just notes. But on the day Ellen White died, the nurses knew that Ellen White's time on earth was coming to an end. And so they called those who were especially close to her to come to say their goodbyes. And one or two at a time were allowed to go up to the second floor where Ellen White's bed was. And Iram and Christina were invited to make their way up to the bedside to say goodbye to not just an employer, but to a friend, someone they had known and been associated with for 21 years. They knew her as a friend, as a prophet, as an employer. Reasons Ellen White was passionate about farming, gardening for the family. She believed in food to eat for the family. Ellen White was a two meal a day person in her later years. But she knew that everybody wasn't a two meal a day person. She knew especially young people and people who were out working needed a little more than two meals a day. And so she always had in her pantry an abundance a fresh, dried, canned fruit from her garden that people could come in in the evening and have something to eat from the garden. So she ate widely from her garden. Gardening for others, she shared food. As she shared with Iram and Christina, she shared with so many people over the years. She instructed Iram at times, take food to this family because they are in need. Gardening for income. You may not have thought about the profit raising money, growing food for income. Willie set up quite a business, and Iram was his partner with fulfilling these orders. Willie White was on every committee that this church had, hospital boards and school boards and wherever he went. And when he would go to these places, he would talk to the cafeteria, 
and he would send back home to Iram an order form of send them dried fruit, send them grape juice, send a whole list of things, and that was part of the income for the Elmshaven property. Gardening for health, better and fresher food, actively involved in gardening. There's two studies that just came out in the last three weeks. The first one was from Reuters. People who live in neighborhoods with more green spaces may have less stress, healthier blood vessels, and lower risk of heart attacks and strokes in residents of communities without many outdoor recreation areas. And then this one just last week, people who eat diets that are high in fiber, which is fruits, grains, nuts, have lower risk of death and chronic disease such as stroke or cancer compared with people with low fiber intake, a new analysis found. A fiber diet was linked on average to 22% reduced risk of stroke, a 16% lower risk of type 2 diabetes and colorectal cancer, and 30% reduced risk of death from coronary heart disease. Practical ways to increase fiber intake is to base meals and snacks around whole grains, vegetables, uh, pulses, and whole fruits. And it should remind you of the statement Ellen White made long before the study came out last week. Grains, fruits, and nuts and vegetables constitute the diet chosen for us by our creator. So she knew that having a garden is going to make us healthier people. Gardening as a missionary endeavor she shared food with others. She shared the gospel at the same time. She also taught people to be self-sufficient. I mentioned earlier this man, Elder Ernest Lloyd, who lived to 105 years old, knew Ellen White very well. He was editor of Our Little Friend. He's on that little DVD that I mentioned. Um, yes, I remember Ellen White. Listen to a little clip of what he says about the neighbors of Ellen White. Now, I want to put it in context. Ellen White said a whole lot of things about don't drink alcohol, and yet some of the people who loved her the most were the people in the valley who owned wineries because she was kind to them. And finally, gardening to train children to work. I think my mother took that one very seriously. In the 1909 edition of Ministry of Healing, there's a chapter on the parents' duty in teaching children to work, and they needed a picture for, to show children working. Now, these are the James children that's in the book there. My grandmother used to tell the story and laugh about it, that they had all been out working in the garden, and they heard that this picture needed to be taken, so they all had to come in and get baths and get dressed up in their good clothes so they could have a picture taken to show them working. And as soon as the picture was taken, then they put their work clothes back on and went back out to work. <laughs> but underneath that picture, let the mother plan light work to employ active hands and minds. So Ellen White had a lot of reasons that gardening and farming were so important. And finally, gardening to show and teach spiritual lessons. As you go out this morning, there's a little handout with just six lessons. There's many more in the spirit of prophecy, but six lessons on uh, what you can learn from gardening. 
number of years ago, Paul Harvey, the radio commentator, received a note from somebody about farmers, and he tweaked it. And then Elder Ken Holland, the editor of These Times magazine, picked it up and reworked it a little further. And it says, on the eighth day, God looked down on his planned paradise and said, I need a caretaker. So he created a farmer. God said, I need someone willing to get up before dawn, milk cows, work all day in the fields, milk cows again, eat supper, and then go to town and stay past midnight at a meeting of the school board. So God made a farmer. I need someone with arms strong enough to wrestle a calf, yet gentle enough to deliver his own grandchild. Someone to tame cantankerous machinery, come home hungry, and have to wait lunch until his wife's done feeding visiting ladies, then tell the ladies to be sure and come back real soon, and mean it. And so God made a farmer. God had to have someone willing to ride the ruts at double speed to get the hay in ahead of the rain clouds and yet stop in midfield and race to help when he sees the first smoke from a neighbor's place. So God made a farmer. God said, I need somebody strong enough to clear trees and heave bales and yet gentle enough to wean lambs and tend the pink combed pullets and who'd stop his mower for an hour to splint the broken leg of a meadowlark. So God made a farmer. It had to be somebody who'd plow deep and straight and not cut corners. Somebody to seed, weed, feed, breed, and rake, and disc, and plow, and plant, and tie the fleece, and strain the milk, and replenish the self-feeder, and finish a hard week's work with a five-mile drive to work. So God made a farmer. And so we come back to the statement that Ellen White made, I would not be willing to exchange my farmer for any other person that I know of. Ellen White was passionate about working the ground, about working the gardens, about working the farms. And as she looks at each one of us today who believe passionately in farming and in gardening, she would give that promise to us today. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.